As Protestants and Catholics, we worship the same God, we just do it a little differently. For example, Protestants worship God in their Bible studies, fellowship, and spirit-filled services. And Catholics worship God in their beautiful cathedrals, liturgies, and sacred traditions. But that's no reason to behave like prideful little children in the Father's house, fighting over who God loves more, just because we think our way is the best way. For there is no distinction between Jews and Gentiles, and there is no distinction between Protestants and Catholics. The same Lord is Lord of all, and is generous to all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We are all God's children, but the enemy has us distracted and divided against ourselves. Meanwhile, he's destroying our families and robbing our children of their future. We must join forces. Let's stop talking about how we are different and start talking about how we are all the same in our struggles. We are all broken and we all need a savior named Jesus. We like this idea so much we created Broken Catholic, the number one podcast in the world for Protestants and Catholics. Now close your eyes and take a listen as everyday Christians reveal shocking before and after stories of how they resisted or cooperated with God's plan for their life and what happened next. Hi, this is Dr. Scott Hahn and you're listening to Joseph Warren with Broken Catholic. You're going to enjoy everything you hear. Today, my featured guest is Blair Reynolds and Blair is the founder of LifeConsultingCourse.com. Uh, he is also was the co-host of the Liberation Project podcast, uh, is a host of the How to Life Good podcast, and is a life consultant in Redding, California, USA. He has been consulting individuals in business and personal transformation for over 10 years now. We're going to get into a, a topic uh, for a lot of us men out there. Uh, and for some of you ladies as well, misunderstanding of shame. The misunderstanding of shame, Blair's going to explain to us what that means, um, how and why we deal with that, and then how do we get through it, right? Uh, how do we break what I call and others call the shame cycle um, <laughs> that we find ourselves perpetually just going around and round and, and, and just beating ourselves up and never really stepping into our purpose because of it. So Blair, you can find him at BlairReynolds.co, BlairReynolds.co. Blair, welcome to Broken Catholic, number one podcast on iTunes for Protestants and Catholics. Go ahead and just take a quick minute um, and fill in some of the gaps in that intro, would you? Yeah, that's great. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on, Joseph. And also thanks for creating this space. I think it's such an interesting space to have a vulnerable, emotionally exposed type of a platform where you're willing to be honest and vulnerable. I think one of the most impressive things is when people can create a safe place so that we can actually bear our souls and show the messy parts of our lives, not just, you know, the polished successes and wins. And uh, to answer your question about the, what are the gaps missing in that? And I think there would be a lot there. Uh, one of the things that I do is I'm, I'm kind of a content junkie when it comes to, I want to produce this and I want to produce that. And so I love that generating con concepts and, and, chewing on ideas. But I think the other things that are missing from that type of intro and where we've been and what I've done is, is a lot of the shortcomings. It's a lot of the things that you don't see behind the scenes. And I've had multiple businesses crash and burn. I've had issues where I you know borrowed family money and then just was really stupid in how I used it. I've had issues with partners and trying to create businesses. I've had things that 
I thought were God's will, but I forgot to include God in the process. And so I've had probably more failures than successes, but, but I love the journey and I love the redemption part of it because you would know this. We meet with people all day, every day. Sometimes it's that weakness and it's that empathy that you have for other people in their pain that actually allows you to connect with them, meet them where they're at and help them to get to that next level. So not, not ungrateful, even for my, my failures and shortcomings. Mm. One of the biggest lessons uh, God taught me was in order for me to be empathetic with others, I had to first experience the mm. bottom that mm-hmm. they were living in. And uh, so that I wasn't looking down on them like I was mm-hmm. better than them. And they just need to snap out of it and make a decision. Yeah, if only they'd try harder. If only they'd white knuckle it a little longer. That's exactly it, right? Yeah. So God in his mercy and wisdom allows us sometimes to go through the struggles mm-hmm. ourselves. So BC Nation, if you find yourself in a struggle currently and you're sitting there with God, why, why, why? The simple answer is because of what he has planned for you. Mm. That's why you're going through it. You're going to help someone else through it in the future. That's it, regardless of what you're going through. So you want to stop asking why and start asking what. God, what do you want me to learn through this? What do you have next for me? How are you going to use me to be fruitful for your kingdom? These are, these are questions that lead you to purpose. Why questions? Why me? Why this? Why it's so unfair? All that. That just leads you to pain, more pain. So Blair, um, take a minute. Share something personal about you that very few yeah. people in your business life actually know. Um, my business life? That's an interesting question. I think an ironic one is that I'm, I'm single. And that doesn't sound like much of a disclosure, but it is if you've been long-term single, if you've gone year after year with that long-term Chinese water torture pain of, of the grief of, you know that you're a husband, you know that you're a father and you were designed for it. And the ironic part is 40% of the people I work with are couples and I've done parenting success and, and you know, all sorts of things like that. So I work with people constantly. And the, the comical thing is they always assume I'm married. Like even yesterday I had somebody say, yeah, I thought you were married with kids and they just always have that assumption. And so I know that doesn't sound like a very vulnerable share, but it does when you're trying to help couples and reestablish intimacy and, and improve their romantic lives. And the way that I approach that, so I don't feel like a hypocrite is God has designed us so that the, the person needs to get healed, not necessarily lead the relationship. And I think a lot of people are working on the relationship. And ironically, if you will heal the individual, you will heal the relationship. And I couldn't so, agree more. I yeah. believe that it only takes one uh, spouse in a marriage to heal mm-hmm. the marriage. If one spouse takes on the inner work within themselves, lets God heal mm-hmm. them fully, they show up differently in the marriage, they do. which then causes a different reaction or response from the other spouse. And they it's show true. up better. And all of a sudden, the mag- marriage gets healed. And, and to your point, that was, that's really good what you said. We focus on the thing, the it, the what, the marriage, let's go fix it rather yes. than take on, God, can you heal me? Exactly. And, and most people are pointing at the other spouse. Yes. I think the number one thing when you come into my client and we're working as couples, it's, it's they're pointing at one another. Well, yes. he does this and da, 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 and they never didn't meet my needs. And he's narcissistic in these ways. Well, she's a nag and she's always on my case. And the truth is you're both bringing baggage to the table. And that kind of is kind of a, a perfect segue for my favorite topic, which is 
the issues that we're working on the present are 90% rooted in the past. And so if we're only trying to use willpower and performance and striving to, to get over our issues, it, whether it's relational or individual, we're actually missing the point. And so I think a lot of times we're spending a lot of energy on the symptoms instead of understanding the root system of where those symptoms are manifesting. So, you know, whether it's porn, addiction, disconnection, anxiety, confusion, striving, all those things, 90% of the time you can say it's rooted in a template that was created at an earlier time in your life. So mm. understanding your template and how it has been formed and the places that are strong in it, not just recognize the weaknesses, but also the weaknesses. What are the things that my template is reenacting in my life that I'm creating subconsciously that are actually destroying what I want? Whether that's peace, whether that's serving God, whether that's intimacy, the capacity to feel my emotions, because almost always those are learned. And so if we like, just as an example, and I'm not trying to slam this because this is going to seem so ridiculous, but we'll be a little bit, um, a little bit conflictive here. A lot of people want to work on communication. So when they come in as couples, we just need to, we just need to work on our communication. We need to work on our communication, not knowing that they actually married somebody with opposite dysfunction to them. So, you know, you have a passive and an aggressive, a retreater and a pursuer, a victim and a villain. So very often you will match somebody that, that actually has an opposite dysfunction that you're playing with, that you're in a dance with. And so when you are saying, hey, let's work on communication, it's like standing at the top of the iceberg and saying, if we only get this right, if we get this part right, everything's healed. When in reality, you're bringing 20, 30, 40 years of a learned behavior, probably of a disconnecting behavior that has to be healed and restored before you can have intimacy. And then the communication can start flowing healthily and productively. Would you be willing to share a transformation story of one of your yeah. clients? Oh, yeah. Specifically where they went through this process. So kind of describe, mm -hmm. you know, where they were in the pain, what was happening sure. in their life. Um, I love that. What tools they actually uh, were given and applied. Mm -hmm. And then what was the results or outcomes? Okay, absolutely. Uh, I'm thinking of one that jumps to my brain the first thing. And, and this is not, this is a little bit too dramatic of results. So I want to say, don't guarantee this is going to happen every time. But I was working with one client that was a husband and a wife, and they were on the, the, the brink of divorce, both of them. So both of them came to me. And the ironic part is one of the individuals was actually using our time together, which is my first time ever meeting them to say that they were going to get divorced from their spouse. Right. So I'm sitting there like, oh, are you kidding me? You're dropping that bomb in the middle of our session. So so that's the first 15 to 20 minutes of the session. But then I start breaking down how they're actually bringing all of this baggage from their histories, in particular, their mother and their father. So they they had married somebody that had dysfunction similar to their father, which is, you know, a masculine template for them. Right. It feels like home. It feels normal. It feels connecting. That's one of the reasons that we're drawn to people that are familiar to our parental figures, and they were both doing the opposite. So one was, let's just call it a more antagonistic woman. And, and the other one was a passive, non-connecting non male, right? They were reenacting their template. So they were both frustrated with that and, and trying to like push through. And so during, it was ironically, it was just during one session, I did a couple connecting activities where I started talking about resentment and bitterness and how the buildup of their anger and disappointment is actually not about their spouse because they've only been married to their spouse for three or four years. It's about 30 years of having a passive, disengaged, neglectful father 
that was never there, that never met your needs, that never stood up and actually took up space and made you feel safe or protected or seen or heard. And for her, it's about a controlling, uh, I don't want to call it manipulative, but it's about a controlling woman, not the three years that you've had with your wife, but 30 years of life experience where you never felt like you could be yourself. You never felt like you could be heard. You never felt like you could show up in your strength and your power because you're always having to play small to protect her, her fragile ego. Right. So I started explaining that that is a, that's your history. That's year upon year upon year of built-in patterns and pain. So when we point that pain at our spouse, we're actually pointing decades of difficulty and grief instead of the few years that they've actually had of reenacting that pattern. So my point being for, for that thing. So I'm starting to strip that away, right? It's not really about your spouse. You're actually, and in fact, I actually think you love that person. I think your intentions have been trying so hard to connect with them. I think that you've dot, 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 dot. So by the end of the session, they're both bawling, both of them saying, I really don't want to get divorced from you. I never wanted that. I just didn't know what to do. I was so confused. I was trying everything I knew how. I just felt so isolated. But they both couldn't connect with the other because they had 30 feet of walls in front of them that they didn't see. And I think that's the point. The point is when you have all that trauma and pain and disappointment and emotions that are stuffed, you have these giant disconnectors from the people that are in your life. And it's about, it's about removing those so you can show up, you can be vulnerable and you can be seen. And so that was one beautiful thing. And they're actually very happily married now, which is, it sounds like a crazy pivot, but it was during one session going from, we're both going to divorce each other to, I never went divorced. I love you. I care about you. You're the best. And then you following up with, so what credit card would you like to put that on? <laughs> yeah, exactly. How, how would you like to do that? Well, and here's, here's just a simple thing. And you might appreciate this, obviously, because you partner with God and healing people. But I'm very comfortable, and I do this very regularly, as I always say, God, um, I can't heal people, but you can. Mm -hmm. So if you would like to heal them, I would love to be a part of it. If I can host, you know, if I can help administrate, I'd love to do that. But I'm not smart enough. I'm not clever enough and I can't heal people. And, and I feel like that gives me permission to not feel responsible for them or their healing, but to invite God into that space and allow me to kind of flow in the river with him. And the tag on to that is I actually think that God wants us healed. And I think he wants to make it simple. I think that we're the ones that complicate it because we're so terrified of being seen and being vulnerable because the last times that we were seen or vulnerable, we got hurt, whether we were younger or whether it was a relationship. And so we're the ones that complicate the process of getting well. That's really well said. And I'm glad you went there, Blair, because that was my very next question. Oh, fans, did, we're on the same you, page. We got this. Seriously, uh, you know, is God part of your coaching? Mm -hmm. And what percent is God part of your coaching? I know a lot of Christian uh, people, individuals in the coaching space, therapy space, counseling space that leave God outside their counseling doors. Yeah. Uh, they just don't invite him in because they use worldly wisdom techniques and strategies mm -hmm. to help people find healing. And yeah. Not, not me at all. I, I, I couldn't do it without awesome. that. That'd be insane. I, I agree. And I think it's a disservice to a lot of uh, individuals because mm -hmm. A lot of those worldly techniques, wisdom techniques, they are very good and helpful uh, in and of themselves. However, they tend to uh, band-aid the symptoms, but never really get right to the core issue. You're speaking my language. Absolutely. Exactly, right? And God created us. Mm -hmm. God knows us. 
right? He knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. Mm-hmm. So he knows everything you have been through, BC Nation. Everything. He was there. You may not understand where he was in the situation and mm-hmm. the pain you went through, but he was there and he sees it. So there's no one like Blair or myself or any other guru coach out there or mm-hmm. consultant or a healer or therapist that can identify those hidden secret rocks, I call yeah, them. Yeah, no way. Deep embedded in your heart. Only God can go that deep. Mm-hmm. So if you want core healing, meaning from the bottom up, um, yeah. we need God involved. If you just want to band-aid the symptoms and learn different ways to cope with them and manage them and live with them but never get rid of them, yeah, that's therapy and coaching. And, and it's helping. It's self-soothing. So I'm not downing it. it. I'm saying it serves a purpose. But if you want total healing and transformation, miraculous healing like you hear in the Bible, then God must be invited in. Blair, what do you want to say to that? Well, I I think you tipped about 18 of my favorite points in the world, which is, first of all, I was a psychology major and my mom is a therapist. I'm very steeped in the, the therapeutic model. And I can tell you from that, I was always frustrated because I would go to school and I would learn these techniques and I would hear everything, but inevitably they would always have this backdrop disclaimer of actually, we don't assume this is going to change them. We're just learning how to manage and how to medicate. Mm -hmm. So they're really good at diagnostic of, Oh, you probably feel this way because your dad was an alcoholic and because of this and that, but not good at transformation. And I think that's the point is God is in the business of transformation because what does it matter if you understand, but you actually don't change your life. And you asked about bringing God into my sessions and I couldn't imagine not bringing God in my sessions. And I do have people that are call it secular. Or, I mean, they don't follow the faith. And so I don't push it down their throat and just be like, well, I, this is the only way you get your healing or anything like that. But one of the things that I do do is I partner with God in the midst of my side of the equation and introduce his love, his, his relationship. So I'll give you one kind of fun example is one of the things that I do is father restoration, where it's basically in, introducing a, healthy father figure so that template can start to be healed. And so if it was neglectful, maybe he's present. If he was angry, he could actually be, be kind and create safe places, et cetera. And a lot of people, it's not safe to bring their biological father in. Sometimes it's not even safe to bring a teacher or a coach or a parent or something because they just didn't have safe figures like that. So, so we, I can go all the way to characters and movies. And sometimes I do that. And so there was this one time, I was working with a, a person and, and ironically, she was a uh, risque photographer. Like, let's just, let's, let me just put it like that. Like her behind her head on the screen that we'd always meet on was pretty strong women images. Right. So I'm working with her. And so we're trying to do this father restoration. And I say, who do you want to bring in? It can be anybody, a character or something, you know, something that just pops into your brain that this is what I needed as from a father figure. And I hear in my brain, uh, the gladiator. And I think his name is Maximus. Like I kept hearing it, Maximus, Maximus, Maximus. I'm like, that's a little interesting. She goes, Oh, Oh, I can't say that. And I'm like, say it. She's like, no, I can't be that. I'm like, say it. She goes, well, Maximus from gladiator. And I'm like, exactly. That's who it's supposed to be. You needed that. You needed that protection, et cetera. So she starts going through the process and weeping because she finally feels she's, you know, experiencing what a healthy father figure would have felt like, but here's my point in telling this story. So God, whispers affectionately to me while that's going on. He's like, Hey, you know, that's me. Right. And it just always stuck with me of like, Oh yeah, he'll work through anything in these situations because he's so 
wants to love these people. And going back to where you're saying, like introducing God, oftentimes people will project their parent figures, in particular the father figures, onto God. So a lot of times, if you're an atheist or an agnostic, or you have these, like I would call them blocks towards viewing God affectionately and kindly, that's because you haven't worked through your emotional issues. So I actually think one of the highest forms of evangelism is emotional healing. Because if you get your father wounds healed, oftentimes you'll actually naturally be disposed to loving God and receiving his love. That's our default design. Say that again for everyone to hear, because that is a powerful point you just Mm -hmm. made. Say that again, please. I, I think that the number one inhibitor to people responding to God is actually their earthly father's wounding. So when you project onto God, what your father did or didn't do for you, you're actually creating a natural distance there. And so if you get emotional healing, and I, I, I say this in a different way, but I, I genuinely believe the number one or one of the most number one ways to evangelize is for people to get emotional healing. Because when your father figure is restored, you know, in the way that you view them and you see them, and you hear them and experience them, then you're naturally reconnected to God. Because that's our natural design. That's our default setting is to respond to God in loving and connected ways. Blair, if that is true, what you just said, which I believe it Mm -hmm. to be true, and I say it often. That's great. Mm -hmm. Then why, oh why, is the church not in the business of people's emotional, spiritual, and psychological healing as well? Because it's messy and they don't know how to do it. Well said. I'm not trying to be mean. It's just... There's an entire culture of church that's trying to organize and trying to be powerful and present, but they're so terrified of the mess that, that comes up when people start experiencing their emotions and working through their trauma and their pain. So let's say hypothetically, you have an entire culture and, and a generation of men that were never connected to their emotions because they were either told to be sheep in the church, or they were told that, that masculinity is evil or toxic, or they're disconnected and neglectful, right? So you have an entire generation of men that don't know how to be present in their emotions. How are they supposed? possibly supposed to offer that to others. So if you have the leadership structure of the church that doesn't have the capacity to connect and experience their own emotions safely, how are they supposed to share that with others? So the best they can do is create a really tight organization of people that love God and try to manage it as well as they can, and then create other external spaces for people to get healing, you know, and that's, I think it's a massive disservice. Because the beautiful thing about God is he wants us healing. He wants us whole more than we want to be whole. He wants us healed more than we want to be healed. And so if we would just turn to him and just say, God, give us the solutions. What do you want for us? How can we be healed of this fatherless generation or of the pain that we feel towards our mothers or whatever those things are? I think he is eager to give them. I just think we're terrified to receive them. There's nothing more scary than actually vulnerably exposing who you really are. Right. It's the the ultimate risk of rejection. Ultimate risk. Ultimate risk. All right. So BC Nation, did you see how we ingeniously segued into redefining masculinity? Oh my gracious. How'd that come up? How did that come up? Right. And and we're just knocking on the door of shame and misunder the misunderstanding of shame. So I'd like to get into that right now, Blair. What does Let's that do actually mean? That is a great question. And I love this topic. It makes me so happy even to discuss because I think that everyone in this culture is awash with shame, often without knowing it. And so I I define shame a little bit differently. So I'm going to take three things that that are 
comparable to shame. And I'm going to break them down and explain why they're different. So you have conviction and conviction is essentially God saying, Hey, you shouldn't do that. And he gives you grace to change. Right. But it feels good. Then you have guilt, which is, oops, I shouldn't have done that. And then you have shame and shame is, oops, there's something wrong with me. So it's actually an identity statement that's saying I'm broken. I'm wrong. I'm short. I'm weak. I'm et cetera. Right. But most people, sorry, most people understand that. They can understand that piece and that's fairly widely known, but here's the piece that I want to add to the conversation. Shame is not about what you did. It's about what happened to you or didn't happen for you as a child. And let me explain what I mean about that. So let's say that you have a neglectful distant dad. You have a neglectful distant dad that's not emotionally present with you. Well, you as a child have an egocentric worldview, which basically means the world revolves around you. It's a developmental stage. So you're going to assume that anything that happens to you is because of you. So if dad is neglectful, it's not because he's an alcoholic or he's distant or he's working because you're not worthy of love or you're not worthy of attention or you're a burden. And secondarily, it feels empowering to take back responsibility for what's happening to you instead of just being at the whims of your environment. So a child naturally says, it's my fault that dad's not there. So when we internalize that, that's actually where our shame comes from. Our shame is what, let's say we got molested, we internalize it. Let's say we were neglected, we internalize it. That's where shame comes from. So when we look at shame today and we're trying to fight it by, I'm not going to look at porn anymore. I'm not going to be addicted. I'm going to treat my wife, whatever it is, like we're fighting the symptoms. Because if our identity is telling us that we're a burden, that we're not worthy of love, that we, you know, et cetera, well, obviously we're going to reenact the evidence that's going to prove that. And so if we can understand shame as what we didn't receive or, or happened to us when we were younger, we can actually get rid of it because shame is not meant to be fought. It's meant to be expelled because when we can give that, let's just say that younger part of us permission say, you know what? That wasn't your fault that your dad wasn't there. You're a wonderful person. You're a wonderful child. You would have been, anybody would have been lucky to have you as a son. You are loved, you are cared for, you are valuable. When they can understand that that was not about them and export that shame, they will no longer create the evidence to support it. So, and then the mistakes that we make become guilt instead of shame because it no longer agrees with our negative statements we believe about ourselves. I'm a burden, I'm not worthless. It's actually then, oops, shouldn't have done that. That didn't feel good. And we can get rid of things when it's, because shame reenacts itself. It's a guarantee that shame reenacts itself, but guilt you can actually respond to and get healthy from because it's just, it's just a behavior. One of my clients, when he came to me, he was wrestling porn addiction mm -hmm. and he said, Joseph, I want to get rid of this once and for all. I'm like, how long has it been going on? And he's like, at least 10 years. Right. Yeah. This is a young man in his early thirties. Right. And, uh, you know, what a gift, what a blessing that he wanted to take that on and then invest mm -hmm. in himself into the coaching program um, yeah. because he didn't want to enter marriage. And he's a single guy. He didn't want to enter marriage that way. Uh, and I, I thought it was beautiful. So we did some work together. And what we mm -hmm. found was the hidden rock of shame, um, which the enemy had lied to him since he was a little boy. Yep. That uh, he... Every time he would try something and mess it up or it didn't go the way he planned it, uh, he would internalize it, like you said, 
And I'm like, what's the command you keep telling yourself? That little boy keeps telling himself, right? What's that command you're putting on yourself? And he goes, I'm a piece of crap. Exactly. exactly. I'm a piece of crap. Like that's the yeah. language. And where did he exact... get that? You know? Does right? a kid just naturally go, oh, I'm a piece of crap? Exactly. And he goes, and Joseph, it's interesting because every time I mess up, something doesn't go my way, I get the chronic disappointment. Then I say, oh, I'm a piece of crap. And then I naturally go from there to porn to self-soothe. Yeah, he just proved his belief statement. And then after I self-soothe with porn, I feel like crap. Mm -hmm. So I just confirmed I am a piece of crap because now I feel like I am, right? I feel like crap. And then I feel the guilt and the shame around that. And then I go and I make decisions, poor decisions that make me mess up, not be present, show up late, whatever, so that I fail and get disappointed again, so that I command my, I am a piece of crap and around I go in the shame cycle. Exactly. Exactly. And you just get stuck in that cycle for years and decades because I, I, when I work with my clients that are stuck in porn, I was not to tease them, but kind of comically, I'd be like, how long have you been, you know, dealing with porn? Oh, 15, 20, 25 years. And well, what you've been doing obviously is not working, right? So we might want to try. That's something not different. always obvious to people, Blair. Uh, well, absolutely. That's the funny part is, is I hate to slam this, but I always talk about therapists that way because I like to get transformation. I want to partner with God for healing, right? So when somebody comes to me, which is the vast majority of them have 10, 15, 20 years of therapy or self-improvement circuit life, right? So they've been trying so hard to get healthy. And basically I... I'm uncomfortable with that because I, I think that there should be growth. There should be breakthrough. If you go for the jugular, if you actually face the real things, you'll get, you'll get freedom. So going back to the porn situation, I always tell my clients, it's not about finding the right fight. It's about making it irrelevant. And when porn becomes irrelevant, it's no longer a problem because if you're stuck in an arena with a 20 foot giant, that ape is going to continue to beat you down. But that's what they do. They lock themselves in that cage, and that's what shame is, right? So, so I'm a piece of crap was that giant ape. He can't escape that cage. So he can fight it for a while and run away, but he can't escape it. And that's what getting rid of shame is, is realizing, where did I get that? If I can dismantle that I'm a piece of crap, and it actually becomes I'm a wonderful, enjoyable man or a human being, why would I want to escape a life I love? And that's what porn is, and that's what addiction is. So how do you walk your clients through that? Is it just a bunch of mantras that you have them repeat to themselves? Oh, no. You know, that's contrary to that? How yeah. do you do it? That, see, that's a great question. And it's a little bit deeper. I want to say it's really simple, but I don't even know if I can simplify. It, I would say it like this. It's an emotional process. It's not a, an understanding process. So a lot of people want to understand it rationally and they want a recipe. And that's just not the way your brain works. So your brain has two different hemispheres and that's where we store our memories, right? So one hemisphere is rational, one hemisphere is emotional. What most people are doing, especially in therapeutic models is working on the, the rational, I'm understanding it. But where breakthrough comes from is the emotional. So you have to be able to connect with the emotions that you feel about a certain situation or area. And then when you do, you can actually reconstruct it from that place. So as, as an example, let's let's take porn, right? Let's say that- What you would you do with that, that young man, that client that yeah. I spoke of? That's a perfect example. And I've actually got somebody that I did that recently with. He, he had the, the statement, I, I'm a burden. And I'll try to give his story very briefly, but I'm a burden, I'm a burden, I'm a burden. And I asked him, I'm like, you have kids, right? Yeah. How do your kids feel when you spend time with them and show them you know, that you love them? How do they feel about themselves? And he goes, oh, well, they feel valuable. They feel cared for. They feel et cetera. And then I was like, well, 
you didn't receive that as a kid because your dad was absent, gone, right? What did that tell you about yourself? And he goes, oh, crap, that I'm a burden. So I go, exactly. So I have him connect with that feeling of feeling like a burden and then go to that part of him and actually restore emotionally what that would have felt like to have compassion and connection and a healthy father figure in that area. Because essentially it's like a muscle that was never exposed or built. When you identify where that muscle is supposed to be of, oh, this is what it feels like to be fathered, to be cared for, to be shown attention. Because I believe that presence is where you show value. So a father's presence is, is basically where we learn that we're valuable. It's also where we learn our identity. And so if that's the message that we didn't receive, we need to learn a different message that's telling us that we are valuable. So staying in that hurt place, let's just say that that place goes, that I'm a piece of crap. Well, I would, I would help him to feel that. I'd actually push him into the pain as deeply as I could. And then I'd go to that part of him that feels like a piece of crap. And we'd actually bring love, loving, masculine, fatherly compassion. I'm so sorry, son. I am so sorry you didn't receive that. You deserve so much more. And I would have him even visualize experiences, what it would feel like to have a father that was present. He played catch with you and he showed you that you're valuable and he didn't shame you every time you didn't do something perfect. And, and I think that's the best way to restore it is essentially if you think of it like a template, you think you have, you have gaps in your template. And our goal is to actually restore those gaps as if we had a healthy present situation. And I do want to say one more thing on that point is we don't want to vilify parents. I think every, most parents are actually trying the best they can, but they're bringing their own baggage. But the beautiful thing about this is when you bring in a restored parent, you actually release the resentment that you're holding against your parents subconsciously and don't even know it. So if you want to improve your relationship with your parents, restore your template and the pain that they've caused you. That's powerful. And it's also a command to honor your mother and father. It is. Right. So how do we do it? You can't be honoring your mother and father just by being nice to them, but deep, deep down resenting them for 15 years. Yeah. And you can Sorry. feel it, right? You can feel yeah. it when you're in the room where you're like, that person hates his mom. You know, he's being nice, but he hates her. And, and yeah, I, you, I and, remember, and I remember this is a funny little detail story and it's personal and vulnerable, but I'll go there. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I got married two years ago, uh, my mother flew up from New York, uh, flew down to Florida, sorry. And uh, she's a 100% Greek woman and uh, short wonderful. little five foot four. And I'm six foot two. And, you know, when it was the mother son dance at the wedding reception, man, I was not looking forward to that, to be honest with you. Mm, right. That's fair. Right. Because there, there's some healing that's still needing, uh, needing to be there. And my mother's had a lot of struggles in her life. Um, and, uh, so it was funny because Greek women, especially when they get past age 60, become very controlling women. They're strong. Typically. They're strong the matriarch. Women. I don't yeah. care. I do whatever I want because yeah, I the head, can. But I'm the neck. Exactly. Like I, I, I do it. Right. And, uh, so there yeah. we are. We're dancing and my mother grabs my hips, little short woman grabs my hips and starts forcefully directing my my body movements oh, of how I dance, controlling, like very controlling in front of all my friends, yeah. uh, clients, you know, family members. And it was, it was humiliating for me yeah, as a grown difficult. man. And everyone was smiling and laughing because they were watching Strong Joseph get mm-hmm. controlled by his mother. Yeah. Uh, so I just want to bring that levity into the situation there. Uh, but that's a great metaphor. 
because I think it's not just the dance, right? Like if, if that strong person makes you feel like you're, you're kind of having to go along with their whims instead of be yourself, the dance is the perfect metaphor for how we feel in life. I can't tell you how many men have either become bitter or become passive because they felt controlled by women when they were younger. And just like me on the dance floor, they feel off balance. That's a great, see, it's a wonderful metaphor. It's wonderful. That's exactly right. You feel off balance. You're not rooted into your strength. And they've defanged our population. They, they've taken away the masculine power, the authority that, that's, I would say, healthy. And in so doing, they've actually made us more unsafe. The number one issue that women have that I meet with that are in a romantic or marriage relationship is that their men are powder puffs. Ironic, isn't it? Like you think, oh, they're too strong. They're too masculine. Toxic. No, it's their, their powder puffs. They're like, they feel like jello. Because every time I push against them, I don't know where they end or what they stand for or who they are. It's the weirdest thing. And I just, I, I, I want to love somebody that's actually present and powerful, not somebody that is a yes person or that is just trying to get along. So BC Nation, we're speaking with Blair Reynolds, uh, and we are finding a balance somewhere between the classic caveman and the limp-wristed doormat of today's generation, the powder puff man. Uh, there's a term uh, in the Asian American culture I was made privy of. Uh, it's called a PAM, a passive American male or a passion, a passive Asian male. But I, I, I like know one passive, of those. I, yeah, I, just, I just like one. the passive American male, right? Yeah. PAMs. We've turned into a, a culture of PAMs. And our women don't want a PAM. They don't want to be married to a PAM. No. They want to be married to power, but not toxic, not abusive. So it's yeah. finding that balance. Uh, they want to be married to a man who's confident, powerful, loving leader that people can trust and admire, that she feels safe with. She knows the children are safe with. Mm -hmm. So if you're ready to be challenged uh, to becoming that real man, um, you know, get in touch with Blair Reynolds. I think he can help you. I don't say that about many guests on my show, but Blair, I think God has given you a keen understanding of Thank how you. the mind works, of how the human emotions work, and that you partner with God in the healing is critical, or I would not recommend you. Understood. Yeah, Same. understood. Um, so, Blair, what's, what's the short answer? Because we're going to wrap up here. What's mm -hmm. the short answer? If a man has been trapped in the prison of powder puff, uh, his whole life, and that's where he finds himself, and his wife's complaining, like, I need you to step up. I need you to take leadership. But he doesn't know how because his whole life he's been told, don't do it. It's not safe. What's that one step that you invite him to do today, this week, this month, to make a shift in that area of his life? Ooh, that's a great question, especially for that segment. So I think that the... First of all, I think that the passive American male is exceptionally dangerous because if you don't feel power healthily, authentically, you're going to find it in indirect ways, which is probably why porn is so rampant and manipulation, all these like backdoor uh, plays of power. So to answer directly your question of like, what would I do with a man that feels like he's passive and, and has felt squelched in that area? I would say he needs to learn to get healthily connected to his emotions. And 
a lot of people are doing this whole face your pain, you know, if you're just sad and you cried out and all, all this kind of crazy stuff, I actually think that's a little bit ridiculous because if, if, if crying was the way to healing, then depressed people would be the healthiest people on the planet. And obviously they're not. So facing your pain in exclusivity is actually not the key. What I think it is, is facing your pain and having compassion and comfort and connection in that place. So I think that we have a tremendous amount of harbored emotions that we feel we're not able to actually bring to the surface and, and experience. And let me use one. And do we have a couple more minutes? you mind if I spend two or three? Okay. Um, one, one is like anger. I think anger is one of the most misunderstood emotions that we talk about in culture today. So it's either completely squelched, especially in the church, or it becomes completely distorted. And it's very rageful and angry. But I always ask people, I'm like, well, did Jesus ever get angry? Well, yeah, of course he did several times and in, including flipping over tables in the temple, right? So I always ask, so Jesus didn't sin. So we know that his anger was righteous. So he had righteous anger in response to his temple being violated. So who is his temple today? We are. Exactly. So we have righteous anger in response to us being violated or those we love being violated. Mm. And when we understand that, we can actually go, huh, I need to be able to experience my anger in order to get my power back. And what I tell people is anger is an emotion, just like sadness, which means you don't have to direct it at somebody, you still, but you need to experience it. Mm -hmm. So think of it like a flamethrower. It's okay for me to sit with that flame and not have to direct it at my wife or direct it at my children or anything like that. But if we don't acknowledge that we're hurt and we're angry about whatever has happened to us, like, like let's use the example of your mom, you know, pushing you around. Like you have to have a natural resistance to that and a little bit of anger of like, hey, that didn't feel good. Otherwise, you have to eat it, right? And when we eat it, we become more and more and more hidden, more and more passive, and more and more full of shame. Can so I add one I, thing to that? Please. So what I've learned to do and I teach uh, in my coaching is what I call surrender prayers. So typically worldly wisdom is we eat it, we suppress it, we push it down mm -hmm. until we explode. Uh, yeah, what I true. teach is surrender it up. Mm -hmm. So don't aim that flamethrower at others. Don't aim it at yourself. Aim it towards heaven and surrender that pain, surrender the anger, that inner rage to God. That's what it looks like when the Bible says, cast your burdens upon him. Mm -hmm. Like God wants those burdens. God wants those rocks. He's big enough. He can take it. He knows we can't and we're going to hurt ourselves and others with it. So I just yeah. wanted to offer that that other alternative because most of us don't know what to do with it. Well, if sure. I can't where do I go? It, do I get angry? What's the alternative? I, yeah. I got to drink it away. I got to numb it. I got to suppress it and medicate it. No, and, there's a new I, way. And it's I would also just, God. I agree. I think that's beautiful. And I think it's so important. I, I, I do think that people do need to sit with it to some degree of like, I need to let myself experience this. I remember when I first let myself get angry at like 25 years old or something like that. Um, I was angry for three days straight because I had so repressed it. It was three days of just volcanic, right? And What'd I didn't you do? even know. You go was... like to a padded room, lock no, yourself I was in a in. coffee shop. It was the craziest thing. It was just like burning off me like a fume, right? But here was the most interesting thing about that situation. I was more adored and appreciated in that situation than I had been for years. I just person after person would come up to me and be like, Blair, I don't know what's going on with you, but I love it. And I'm sitting here thinking, I feel like an a-hole. I'm being sharp. I'm being rude. I'm, I'm like, I don't have any bandwidth for people, but I was so authentic and present. And I was finally being emotionally honest with myself. And I think just like you said, from that place, that's when you start to release it. 
it starts to be like a flow of, okay, I'm sitting in this and now I'm letting it go. And when you do, you become a powerful man, but we're not taught how to do that. We're not taught how to do it safely. And, and it's a beautiful thing because I also think that without angry, you can't have self-value because essentially if you can't have a fence around your home, your home can be pillaged and violated at any given time. Right. But if you have a fence, which is natural anger, you can go, Oh, now I can start building something really beautiful. And that doesn't mean that you're unsafe. In fact, it means that you're more safe. But I think that that's, that's the lesson that we need to learn as a culture today. Mm, I so agree with that. All right, BC Nation, we're speaking with Blair Reynolds, and he's about to enter my favorite part of the show. Blair, <laughs> welcome to the confession round. I'm going to ask oh, wow. you 10 quick-fire questions. You'll have about oh, three seconds to answer each. Okay, Don't, I'll, don't overthink it. It's just for fun. It's like a okay, game cool. show. Are you ready? Yep, love it. What's your most favorite thing about God? His compassion. What's he's, your he's least favorite? What's your least favorite thing about God? That I don't understand him. What are you most afraid of? Never showing up, as I know I can. Yeah, I believe we're all struggling with something at any given moment of our life. It's just mm-hmm. part of the human struggle. What are you currently yes. struggling with right now, either personally or professionally? Um. Failure to launch. Failure I feel to like launch. I've, yeah, I feel like I have three Ferraris in the garage and I'm nervous to take them on the road. Yeah. <laughs> is that why you're single? What? what? It, hey, I'm hey, dude, kidding. I'm sure that is true. A hundred percent. What did you spend way too much time doing this past year? Oh, good question. Um, Instagram reels. Got it. What's the secret fear you have about people? Hmm. That's a great question. I'm good at this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, I don't know. Maybe that I would get close and be hurt deeply. Got it. Hence the failure to launch, my friend. You don't want to yeah, make definitely. the wrong choice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it, especially when it goes deep. Absolutely. What do you wish you had learned sooner from about God? That he always wants to be present, but we can't treat him like a formula. Hmm. What's a new habit you're going to create in your life? Getting support. Yeah, got it. Not not like emotionally. I've always had a lot, but like with business, I've always been a one man show and I'm like, I can't do that anymore. I'm dying. So I'm just, I'm exporting everything I can. What's a bad habit you're going to break? Hmm. Oh, well, I would say the failure to launch thing again. I would say consistency. I'm a phenomenal launcher and sprinter. But the long, I'm not great at like the long-term incremental build. If I think that's even a kingdom value, I could really improve on that. Blair, I think you're very much like me. You're just better looking. <laughs> I don't know. I was going to say, you're a good looking guy. Pick three words to describe who you are now. Okay. Uh, compassionate, safe, and bold. Got it. Pick three words to describe who you were before uh, you experienced God as a loving father. Hmm. Anxious. Um, charismatic, but shallow. Hmm. And last question. If you could come back to life after you died, look your family and friends in the eye and give them only one piece of advice about anything, life, Mm -hmm. purpose, eternity, what would you say to them? Don't be afraid to show up. And I mean, as yourself. Yeah. Any final wisdom? What's the one thing you want my listener to know about... Uh, well, for what, what's the one thing you want my male listeners to know uh, about not showing up 
as a PAM, a passive American man. Yeah. I think that that you're going to realize that the the culture and your family and your community are actually weighted on bated breath for you to show up in your authority, which is truthfully your authenticity. And so if you want to show up as God designed you, stop hiding from that place. And I'm maybe just beginning to understand that that hiding is actually not serving you and it's not serving anybody else. All right. I'm almost seeing a, a, a hashtag. Stop being a Pam. Stop being a Pam. <laughs> I was like, what? A, oh, no. Oh, am no. I am I a Pam? Well, it's so true because if there was one, if I was going to, you know, this is going to be a sad confession, but when I got saved, I, I went to all these Christian churches, giant things like 700, 800, 10, you know, a thousand people. And it was the saddest show of, uh, weak sauce men. That's the only way to describe it. Like I, I was looking for leaders. I was like, where's the masculine powerhouses? Yes, yes, where are yes. the confident people? Where are the, you know, the guys? And I just couldn't find it. And it was so fascinating to me because when I became a Christian, I actually masculinized. That sounds funny, but I actually became more masculine just by naturally God imparting to me who I was. Right. And so it was confusing to me why the Christian culture had so embraced passivity for men. Mm. Like it was just mm-hmm. fascinating. And and I don't have the perfect answer to that, but I dang well know I don't want to continue or be a part of it. So so I you want know, to be a part I've of I've been change. in some some churches across the United States and it has become the saddest show on earth. To it's your rough, point. Right? To your point, right? Uh, and the men are so passive that they need to compensate with tattoos uh, in mm-hmm. order to look masculine, which is hilarious. Exactly. And, and you saw all the, the church pastors tatting up, right? It was almost a qualification to be a church pastor, to have yeah. tats, former lifestyle, look at me. Uh-huh. Now I'm passive for God. Like, it, it was just like, wait <laughs> totally. a second. That's yeah, not what God wants. Even yeah, their voices. Something doesn't change the nature. Even their voices weren't masculine. It used to mm-hmm. tick me off. I'm just saying. Uh, wait, for wait, anyone who yeah. resonates with that profile we just put on you, I'm sorry, but yeah. stop being a Pam. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> and you're not one. That's the most beautiful thing is. You're you not one. It. You hate it. Like that's That's it. The enemy wants us to believe we're all a bunch of Pams yeah. out there when in fact we're not. Yeah. And we're, that's we're, what's we're so- powerful men. Clever about, I know we got to wrap this up, but that's what's so clever about the enemy is the enemy is not powerful directly. In my opinion, I think he's very clever at getting us to use our power against ourselves. And that's that's what he's done to the masculine male. That's right. Because he has no inheritance and we are Mm -hmm. sons and daughters of God with inheritance and with God's authority that he doesn't have. Mm -hmm. So he has to leverage ours. Exactly. That's exactly right. Well said. All right. Yeah. Uh, Blair, where does BC Nation go to find out more about you? Great. I would love that. I think the best place to send them right now is how to life good. And it is just a website that has my course on it. You can go to other places if you want to play But if you go to how to life good, that's sort of the comprehensive emotional healing destination. So this is when I want to walk people through stuff and not just lip service it, I would send them there because there's a robust kind of um, system to start getting them support and also just changing people's mind in certain areas that we've been so in a rut. So I love to think unorthodox, and I think that's a really good place to start. Got it. And that's uh, howtolifegood.com, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Intentionally poor grammar. Intentionally. And you can find that in the show notes, BC Nation. Uh, Blair Reynolds, thank you for being on Broken Catholic. I wish you God's love, God's peace, and God's joy in your life. And go get that wife that God has already created for you. She's moving towards you. Be ready to receive her. Go. That's my uh, little go. My push, my friend. I was there three years ago. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I, congratulations, by the way. That's so awesome. Thanks, and man. thank you for having me on. I really appreciate this and appreciate what you're doing and, and feel very grateful to be a part of it. So thank you. Have you tried absolutely everything and nothing has worked? Have you tried therapy? Have you tried coaching? Have you tried counseling, Christian counseling? Nothing's worked for you, for your spouse. You just want better communication. When you wake up, do you feel like you want to crawl under a rock in the morning time? Is your brain so scattered and foggy at this point that you're not following through with things? You're not keeping your word in the matter. You're letting people down, maybe your own spouse or kids. Do you have way too much on your plate and you're getting more and more frustrated, which is turning into anger? Are you battling addictions right now? Are you an amped up or frantic person with a lot of anxiety and you're off and on a bipolar and depression medicines? If any of these you connect with, then what I do is specifically this. I do not do therapy. I do not do counseling. Those are for people that want to talk about their problems or learn different ways to cope and manage their problems. I don't do that. Reach out to me if you want to get rid of your problems permanently. Like be done with the addiction. Be done with the medications. Be done with the escaping your life because you just feel so powerless in it. If you want those results and you want peace, it's what we all want. We're all chasing it. We had it as kids. We lost it. Life beat the crap out of us. If you want peace, that's what I sell. It's God's peace. So you can find that at josephwarren.net. You can schedule a call with me, complimentary. I'll contribute 30 minutes of my time into your life. We'll get clear on what you actually want. Then we'll see if we're, we want to work together. And that's me interviewing you to see if you're ready. Are you ready to do what it takes? Some people try to come to me, but they're not ready to be coachable. They're not ready to get rid of the problems. Again, if you don't want to talk about your problems anymore and you've tried everything and nothing has worked and you want to permanently get rid of them, go to josephwarren.net and let's see if I'm your guy.